I have the Austin Deming karma <laughs> for my personal life? Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you want any of that. Do I need to wear the same underwear and socks? <laughs> hey, I was four, I was 15 at the time, so. <laughs> this is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. What a week for Austin Deming of BYU Baseball. Welcome back to Studio B. We are live. This is your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. We call it BYU Sports Nation. Alongside Jason Shepard, I am Spencer Linton. Let's talk Batcats and BYU Baseball with the man of the week, Austin Deming in Studio B. Welcome to the show, Austin. Thanks for having me. Man of the week's probably a stretch, but thanks for having me. <laughs> what a week, man. It's just it's unbelievable. Four home runs. I, I believe now if... And I know the NCAA's got some stipulations on you have to play so many games before mm-hmm. your stats are like included with everyone else. You're so close to that. But because you're so close, we're just going to say you're number one in slugging percentage. <laughs> you're like top 15 in four or five different categories. You've been injured. You're back. Uh, how you feeling overall? Like what's happening that's working so well? Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better even just from like the beginning of the season, just a few weeks off maybe was more needed than I kind of thought. So it's been good to just, it's been good to just be back in the lineup and be with the guys again. It usually takes though, when you're out 10 games or whatever it was, it usually takes a bit of time though to get your rhythm back. That hasn't been the case. You stepped right back in and have just kept swinging. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit I was, I was pretty nervous my first few days back at practice just cause like live pitching is kind of a lot to adjust back into. So I was, I was pretty nervous and then my first game back, I homered against Utah Tech, which kind of helped ease ease the nerves a little bit. But it's like like I said, I just it's good to be back. I'm thankful that I'm playing. So now walk us through the rehab and what injury you were working through for those that aren't familiar with this and and what it caused you to and why it caused you to have to sit out. Yeah, I've just been it, it's a it's a bit of a weird injury, but technically it's a sports hernia. So it's just kind of just in my like leg area, kind of a kind of a weird spot, but. Yeah really just this time around was just a few weeks off. I didn't, I couldn't really do anything. It just kind of needed, it was just some aggravation going on. So I kind of needed to just relax and not do anything, which was hard, but it was, it was like two weeks of doing nothing. I so. think it just adds to the, the legendary season, right? The lore. I yes, remember the when Austin I, Deming I lore. sports hernia and came back and was like the national player of the week. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, let's, let's talk about Saturday. Like the entire week, the offense was insane. And quite frankly, it has been all year. Yeah. You guys have been putting up runs left and right. Mm-hmm. But on Saturday, when I joked with you in the postgame, like, best day is a BYU Cougar, five for five, six RBI, two home runs, one of which was a grand slam. What did a performance like that mean to you? Uh, it, it was awesome just to kind of, I mean, help the team win, especially that grand slam probably goes up there as one of the bigger hits in my career. I mean, we were only up one in the seventh, so I think obviously doing that at any time is pretty awesome. But just in that kind of that big spot, it, was, it, was, it, was, it goes up there for hits in my career here at BYU. So having watched what Cole Gamble did in game one of the series, did that in any way, shape, or form impact your approach <laughs> at the plate? Uh, we've been joking around a little bit, just, just kind of with some numbers and stats. So I told him, <laughs> I told him Thursday that I got to get, get my lead back from him. So <laughs> we, we have a little joke going on. So we mentioned the, the week was pretty crazy from an offensive standpoint. 
What was it like to be involved in four games in which 116 combined runs were scored? <laughs> and, and 29 of those we don't really like very much, but 116 yeah. runs in four games is stupid. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday was, was really hard, and I think just to be able to jump back and score a bunch throughout the weekend was really important. But it was, it was a first for me, I think, so being a part of games that were consistently scoring that many runs. How do you bounce back? And I asked Cole this question as well, and his little brother Tate. Mm-hmm. After a loss like that, how do, how do you center yourself? You scored 14, you lose by 15, it's mm-hmm. against your rival, but then you come back and you sweep Greensboro. So what went into the mentality of that approach? Yeah, we talked a little bit about it on Saturday, just like the importance of being able to bounce back because Tuesday was, was something crazy. And honestly, it's kind of one of those things that it's hard to, but you just need to kind of just flush it and move on and just be like, all right, we got a series this weekend. So it was, it was big on the guys to just kind of flush it and focus on our weekend series and be able to play well. I'm with you. I literally yeah. wanted to take the score sheet and flush it down the toilet. I, had peop- I, I wanted I had, to do that. I had people from back home in St. George ask me if the score was accurate, if the final <laughs> post was, if that was accurate. <laughs> so why do you think the offensive production has been so high this year? Is there anything you can pinpoint? Um, I, it's hard to say because like it's, there's a, it's not just like one or two guys. I mean, we yeah. have like six, seven, eight guys that, have been really solid this year. So I don't, it's hard to say. It's just, it's kind of one of those things where we're just like building off each other. Like one guy, like Cole does real well on Thursday and then like guys just piggyback off each other. So has been doing well. It's just, it's just fun to be a part of because it's not like one guy that's like, all right, we got to rely on this guy. We got a bunch of guys that are doing their job. Well, and, and with the guys in the, you know, and I said this, two through seven, good luck trying to pitch around anybody because you're talking about power numbers, not just average. You're talking about power yeah. numbers, two through seven. And I, I think the fact that opposing pitchers, they can't say, all right, well, let's pitch around this guy to get to this guy because all that guy done is maybe have one less home run than the other guy. When you're protected that much, you're going to see good pitches at almost every at-bat. Yeah, a, me- a mentality of ours is just to be tough hitters, and that doesn't necessarily mean power, but it's awesome when guys are producing with power. But it's just it's awesome because, like you said, they can't pitch around our four or five guy because our six guy is going to come up and do his job. So yeah. that's what makes us really dangerous. BYU right now in seventh place in the West Coast Conference standings, although you own a tiebreaker yeah. against Santa Clara. Yeah. That would put you at number six. And in the postseason, mm-hmm. if it started today, you got 12 conference games remaining. How are you feeling as a team as you push forward being on the edge or the bubble of that postseason scenario? Yeah, I, I, I don't think we're too worried just yet because we've been, we've been swinging it really well, obviously. And I think, I think coming off two conference wins was really important as well. And then, like I said, bouncing back from Tuesday last weekend to kind of stay focused in a non-conference series to kind of see where we're at going into the last few series was important. So, What does this season mean to you as a senior right now? Um, I'm just... I'm giving it everything I got. Um, that we uh, at the beginning of the fall, we all came up with one word that we wanted to like use for our year, and mine was everything. Because frankly, I'm I'm out of eligibility this year, so I'm just giving everything I got, and I'm just thankful to be out there and playing as hard as I can every day. Austin Deming of BYU baseball is hitting 4.36 in the 2023 season. 
I am specifically choosing not to bring up different streaks and numbers and things because I know that <laughs> jinxes in baseball are a huge thing. So, like, if you <laughs> want to know exactly what Austin's done, I'll let everybody do a little bit of research because I'm trying not to disrupt the nature of this, Austin. Are you a guy that's big into jinxes and streaks and things like that? Um, it depends. I was growing up and in high school, I was terrible with superstitions. And, <laughs> but um, just like my last few years, I've just kind of tried to chill out a little bit and just play the game every day, play it hard every day and good things will happen. What was one of your superstitions in high school? Do you, <laughs> what, was, what was one of the ones that you think is kind of the craziest? Um, my freshman year in state, I wore the same socks and underwear every day for like a week straight when we were playing, so it's pretty gross. Did it work, Austin? Yeah, did it work? We didn't win. A personal level, yes, but we, we took third that year, so it was yes and no. <laughs> Wow. I don't, yeah, okay, that's enough. Don't, we're not going to follow hey, up You on had that. your fingernails painted last, yeah, last year when I true. was here. This is true, and it worked for a while for everybody. The karma was going with my royal blue fingernails. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Austin. Thanks for bringing up that low point in my life. No, By the way, he kept, he kept that. He, he kept it longer than he said he was going to. I was told that I couldn't get rid of it until teams started to play bad at BYU and just so happened that softball and baseball and like a bunch of teams were rolling. So like you can't get rid of your fingernails until people start to play bad. Shout out to Taylor. Shout out to Taylor Williams, still <laughs> doing her thing with the fingernails. Okay. Uh, you host Portland this weekend. What do you know about the pilots pitching staff and your approach at the plate? Yeah, they're they're a good team. I believe they're second right now. So they're I mean, at the end of the day it's just same every weekend, every series we're playing, just go out there and we're gonna, we know we're going to swing it. We've got to play clean defense. That's been kind of a big factor. If we play clean defense, it shows that we do pretty well. So I think just get ready to go this weekend and just a, another weekend to win some games. Well, while nobody ever feels like they're a finished product, they never, you never want to think that. Do you feel like this team is trending in the right direction and clicking at the right time? I mean, you'd have to you'd have to say yes. We we won our last two conference series and then had a big, big sweep last weekend. So I think just like I was saying, it's it's good timing to kind of really be swinging it really well and just get ready to go for the last couple important series. So. All right, we're going to give you BYU Sports Nation karma, Austin. Let's do it. We gave it to Cole Gamble. We need the Austin Deming karma. <laughs> yeah, we probably do need some of your, your karma. Can I have the Austin Deming karma for my personal life? Uh, I'm not sure you want any of that. Do I need to wear the same underwear and socks for a week? I, I was 15 at the time, so. <laughs> That's great, man. Hey, take the karma. Um, congratulations on everything you've accomplished Thank thus far. You. Can't wait to watch you uh, compete against Portland as yep. you go for another series win. Yep, that's right. Thanks. Thanks, All right. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The big three in the approaching NFL draft. What a week. Ahead for Jaron Hall, Blake Freeland, and Puka Nakua. Not to mention guys like Chris Brooks, Caleb Hayes, a few others that have their own NFL dreams. Houston A. Mooley's in on that mix, hoping to get his call, whether that's in a free agent or a minicamp invite or whatnot. Point is, a handful of BYU guys feel like their lives are going to change this week, Jason. We welcome you back to the show live from Studio B. Matt Miller of ESPN, at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter, has great stuff, released his full seven-round mock draft early on Sunday morning, and we mentioned where he has Jaron Hall going. 65th overall, 
third pick in the third round to the Houston Texans. I have not seen Jaron Hall go anywhere near that high in any of the recent mock drafts, but just maybe things are changing with more quarterbacks going ahead of him. Blake Freeland in the fourth round, 122nd overall, to Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs, Jason. Mm. And then Sky. Puka Nakua, wide receiver in the seventh round, 222nd overall to the San Francisco 49ers. As you look at these three specific fits, do you feel like they're good for each of these three individual players? I like two of the three. Uh, I love Freeland to the Chiefs. For two reasons. One, it's my team. I would love for him to go there. Two, it is a need. They need tackle help. Yes. They yes. need a they need depth at left tackle, and they actually need a starting right tackle. Yep. Now they could also move the guy they just signed over to right and play a guy like Blake Freeland okay. at left tackle. Okay. So it is a need. I love that pick. I would love for that to happen. Puka Nakua, seventh round of the 49ers. Look, I just have faith in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Okay. Anybody that goes into that offense usually flourishes. So if they see something in Puka that they want to bring into that system, I love that. The Jaron Hall thing, I, I like it for him because it's the highest we've seen him sure, pick. Sure. So I like that fact for him. What I don't like is it's the Texans. Yes, it's a franchise that's looking for a quarterback. Yeah. So in terms of opportunities, you may get more there. But I just don't buy that the franchise has their stuff together. I don't know. It's yeah. not a franchise I would want to go to. I don't know right if now. I love that for Jaron. I've, I've said it several times. I kind of want him to go and just be behind like a classic solid veteran. Yep. Like Minnesota. Like the fit. Like by the Vikings for Jaron Hall behind Kirk Cousins. Oh my gosh, I would love that. It's a playoff team, Jason. It's a team that consistently wins. It's a, it's a program and a franchise that's in solid hands. It's got good ownership. I would love a fit like that for Jaron. I love the idea of him going early in the third round. Yeah. I think it's fun. It means way more money for him and you know a better start to his financial career in the league. But Ultimately, I just want him to be behind a veteran. If you're not going to be a first or early second round pick, and let me, you could even throw in a second round. If you're not going to be a first or second round pick, go to the best fit. It's all about, and I, I know we keep harping the fit thing and Tyler Algier, but he is a perfect example, and we just saw it last year. Goes in the fifth round, but he goes to the perfect team for him, and look what he did. Yeah, it's it's yeah. so much about fit more than it is, and I understand we all want if, if we were in those situations, we'd want to go as high as we can because yes, there is a financial yeah, for, component for to sure. it. For sure. Certainly. There's also the prestige of being a high draft pick. I get all that. But if you can have longevity in the league, the finances will come because of your longevity and you go to a place that works for you. I, I just think that's that right there, when you get into the third and especially fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, it's all about fit. If you can go to a fit, your chances of sticking yeah significantly increase. I hope that, I mean, listen, if Jaron is the sixth or seventh quarterback overall drafted, then he's probably a third or early fourth round draft pick, which is fantastic. I just am kind of expecting him to fall to late fourth, early fifth round, and I hope ends up behind a veteran quarterback. I think that's the bet. Let him transition into the league, and I hope it's with a team that has stability. Yeah. There's too much volatility around the Houston Texans right now. I just There are a number of teams in the NFL that just have volatile scenarios, especially at the quarterback position. What I don't want to happen is Jaron gets into a situation like his mentor, John Beck, was in. John was drafted second round by the Miami Dolphins, and his opportunity came super fast. And he was playing on an 
awful team. Awful team. Couldn't have been worse for John Beck with what the Dolphins ownership, and they fired their head coach, yeah. you know, in, in John's rookie season. It just, it was terrible. I don't want that to happen for Jaron Hall. Put him behind a veteran. Now, referencing what you said about Blake Freeland and the Kansas City Chiefs, this is what Matt Miller said. He said, my favorite prospect team fit in round four is Blake Freeland. BYU to the Chiefs at number 122. Kansas City has potential need at right tackle like you referenced, Jason. And Freeland, coming from Andy Reid's alma mater, has elite movement ability at 6'8", 302 pounds. He would give Lucas Niang... Yep. A run for his money as the starting right tackle for the reigning Super Bowl champs. Could Blake Freeland potentially start for the Chiefs in his rookie season? Be blocking for Patrick Mahomes? Look, it, it, look beyond me being a fan of, of the Chiefs, it really is an unbelievable fit. It makes so much sense that the Chiefs would be looking at him in those middle rounds. Is he going to fall all the way to See, pick 122? I don't think he lasts till the fourth round. I think he's a late second or third round guy. He feels like a third round guy to me. Yeah. And I think he's the first guy to go from BYU. I, I do. That, that seems to make the most sense to me. And that's what all, most of the mock drafts have yes. is him going first off the board. Like whoever drafts Puka Nakua, there's a little bit of risk there because he has been injury plagued, but ultra athletic, amazing playmaker. So he's going to be a potential steal for some team in the latter part of the sixth round, early part of the seventh round, whoever drafts Puka Nakua knows they're getting yeah. a phenomenal athlete with incredible hands, but has just been plagued by injuries in his collegiate career. If they can figure that out, oh my gosh, like the return on investment for Puka Nakua is going to be massive for whoever drafts him. And somebody will draft him. If somebody will 49ers, take a flyer. Yes. Awesome. I know BYU fans love that. There are a ton of 49er fans that are BYU fans going all the way back to Steve Young days. It just has lasted forever. So I know that's a fun thought for BYU fans, but whoever takes him, doesn't matter. And it's, again, probably late sixth, early to middle seventh round, has potential to be a huge steal in the draft. This is such a fun week. It's so fun. Whether there's BYU players in it or not, I love the NFL draft. But when you have BYU players and guys that are going to get drafted, it's so much fun yes. to, to try and guess where they're going to go. Because, look, lives are going to, their lives are going to change this week. They'll start the day as, as an average guy, and they're going to end up being a draft pick. It's going to be awesome. Wild. I know. <laughs> All right. If you missed any interviews, shows, or games, you can find them at BYUSN.com or download the BYU TV app to get all the BYU TV sports content on demand. And uh, let's go ahead and cast the spotlight again on the BYU Sports Nation karma because its power has again manifested itself. What a week for the karma. This is BYU Sports Nation. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. BYU Sports Nation is on demand. Download the free BYU TV and BYU radio apps or listen to the podcast. While you're there, please subscribe, rate, and review. All right, we've got a superstition tweet coming in. <laughs> this from at Carl PHX1, who was listening and heard you talk about your NBA Finals superstition. Yes. yes. He said, I understand the superstition. Mine was a blimpy sub before each game during that first Jazz Finals run in 1997. Blimpies, that's back in the well, day. Well, Blimpy and Mountain Dew didn't work, Jason. Yeah, it clearly didn't. Uh, Couldn't but... stop Michael Jordan. 
Chicago Bulls. Are Blimpies still a thing? Are they even around? I believe so. I love yes. Blimpies. I don't. I don't know how many there are, but I believe Blimpy is it still. It was the shredded lettuce. I really liked. I don't know why. I don't know why that was such a big deal for me. Is this a sub day for you? I think we're going to get subs today for lunch. <laughs> Is there a blimpy promo? <laughs> There's not. All right, our question of the day. Are the college football rule changes good for the game? We mentioned them early in the program, essentially meant to speed up the game. Our Elite Voice today presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated comes from Mike Brown on Facebook who says, When I am at the game, I like a longer game. When I am at home, faster is always better. That's an interesting take. I would think... And okay, all right. Look, I don't know. It depends on how hot it is, how bad true. the weather is, yeah. how like late the, the game is, yes. which comes into play more with if you have, than If you have kids with you at a very late game, yeah. like you don't want that to roll into midnight, yeah. right? It's, it's an interesting take. Today's Rise and Shout Out presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. Jason, what a week for the karma. We had Cole Gamble on, mm-hmm. gave him the karma. He was incredible in the UNC Greensboro uh, scenario, early games. Yep. We had Andrew Mickelson, our former BYU kicker, now professional or soon-to-be professional fighter. He's a high-level amateur fighter. He won. He, he was the underdog. He won again. He's 6-1 and one now, Jason. Karma. And he's going to get that belt. Let's go, Andrew. And he got a shout-out uh, from, you know, oh, he got, he got the amateur belt, by the way. Okay? From That's Pat McAfee. He got, yes. he got the social media shout-out from cool. Pat McAfee. That's very cool. For the brand, kickers matter, Jason. (laughs) Our thanks to today's guest, Austin Deming of BYU Baseball. Conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Everything on demand, BYUSN.com. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Let's whip it. Cougar Whip Brand presented by Marisk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. With the Jets winning this year, be a good or bad thing for Zach Wilson? It's a great thing. It's a great thing. It means things are going well. It means Aaron Rodgers is playing well. It means Zach Wilson is learning how to be a quarterback in a winning culture. It's all good. Yes, winning. And he's not going to play longer than two, maybe three years. Like, Aaron Rodgers is not getting any younger. Like, win now, establish that winning culture, and maybe, maybe Zach can slide in there and Keep things going, the momentum rolling. Yeah, I feel you. Um, winning suddenly with Aaron sort of juxtaposes how it didn't happen with Zach, which is tough. And again, perhaps he learns lessons and then can just go to another team that will make him the backup and then perhaps he gets a shot. All right, let's keep it rolling. John Williams, incredible composer. The other oh. John Williams. Oh. Big 12 Vice President of Men's Basketball, you missed it earlier, said yesterday the Big 12 is looking into hosting a preseason showcase at the beginning of November to allow Big 12 teams that only play each other once to play. These games wouldn't count towards the Big 12 standings and would replace the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Jerem, are you a fan of this idea? I hate it yeah. because I don't want more tough games on the schedule for BYU. They'll have plenty. They'll have 18 in league. That's enough. They'll have a couple tough ones in non-conference. I don't like it whatsoever because if this is the case, I don't see how BYU would make the NCAA tournament. It'd just be too hard. BYU doesn't need more Big 12 games. No. No, no. Keep the Big 12 SEC challenge. We're good. It's fun. Something different. Honestly, if BYU doesn't play in that, I'm okay with that. Depends on who you get. Well, that and is it one game? Is it? Yeah. Again, for BYU to make the NCAA tournament, the way is 
10 and three non-con, seven and 11 in league, and then hope that you win a game in Kansas City. Seven Big 12 wins would be tremendous. Like, do you need to go 11 and two, six and 12? Like, you need to have like 19 wins going into selection. Just have a shot. To be a 10 seed? To be a whatever seed, <laughs> who cares? BYU Athletics announces renovations and expansion of the football offices and the Built for Life Center in the Student Athlete Building. This is a good start in the upgrading of facilities in the Big 12 era. Uh, yeah, it's a great start. It's a start. We begin by beginning. So just do something and they are, and I'm happy for them. I'm still waiting for that lying beast over at Provo High School. Yeah, what are we doing with that? To become something. It feels like it could be something huge. Make it a football. IPF. Make it second only. IPF. Uh, or, yeah. or move, or give football the one right next to their facilities and get another one for everybody else. You know what football doesn't need? Golf class and intramurals in its facility. Basketball can go whenever they want to the annex. Football cannot. Second indoor facility would be awesome. Yeah. The SEC is contemplating increasing penalties for schools who allow fan bases to rush the field. What is this? Instead of fines, I can't believe this, a proposal would have a team giving up the next home game in the series, thus playing three straight games at the opponent's home field if the fan base storms the field. Is this crazy or some type of genius no, by the SEC? It's crazy. I, I know it's a, a concern. You don't want people to get hurt. Do we have enough of those situations to merit this though? Like. Um, what what is what is you know too much in this regard? What if like a hundred people do it but no one else does? Like, did yeah. you rush the field? Yeah, like, I think I, I have a lot of questions. I don't about think this. this is gonna happen. I think this is just kind of uh, like a Trying stringent idea. Off, yes, yeah. scare people away. Yeah. Hey, BYU beat Oklahoma State and rushed the field. Congratulations! Now you got to play three in a row in Stillwater. What? In Provo, in this case, because we're at Oklahoma that, State. That Denver, would be like, crazy. Yeah. Listen, uh, Big Twelve hasn't done it yet. Storm the field if BYU beats uh, Oklahoma. Okay. You know what I mean? All right. Okay. Memphis Grizzlies Dylan Brooks has embraced the uh, villain role until recently, blaming the media for it. <laughs> Not a huge fan of Brother Brooks. Uh, who is the BYU Cougar who best embraced the villain role to opposing families? This is tough because one immediately came to mind, but it's primarily with one fan base, albeit it is the rival <laughs> fan base. Yeah. And it's Max Hall with Utah. He, he wasn't was, looking to be a rival in that moment, or a villain, I don't think. No, or he was wasn't, he? but he became the villain, yeah. and it lasted more than a decade. Eh, it's probably to this day. I was in the room. It was, it was wild. Uh, in the room where it happened, Eric Mika also, I feel like, embraces with St. Mary's specifically. Choke sign, uh, you know, slash in the throat, uh, you know, uh, and then the mouthpiece frustration. He made some uh, Gonzaga fans I, upset too. I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, right there. I think he, he told us, by the way, on the show a couple months ago, there were some fans just giving it to him all game. So he looked exactly right to those fans. <laughs> Which I I think that's fun. You can't just give. Uh, you can't just uh, give and never get. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, if you're going to give, you got to get it a little bit sometimes too. It's okay. To me, that that is the ultimate. Is like, <laughs> fans are just giving it to you all game long. Like, you're so good, you win the game. And then you just kind of turn and look at the it. The best would have been, he just turns. Wave. Smile. Hey guys. Just, just no emotion. Like, Have a great yeah, night. Did that. That happened. <laughs> yeah. It stings as a fan double bad because you've been going at it and then they beat you and it's like, ugh.
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I and like- then in the fall, you don't even have football. <laughs> this is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Welcome back to BYU Sports Station live in Studio B. It is Top 5 Tuesday, and during NFL Draft Week, we are focusing on literally the top five highest BYU NFL draft picks. Starting with Jerem. Number five, John Tate. Hey, I've always loved John Tate. My middle name's Tate. Same spot. 14th pick in 99 by the uh, Chiefs. One of 11 first-round picks all time from BYU. Played for Kansas City for five years. Signed a six-year, $34 million deal with the Dub Bears later. Started 139 games in his career. Wow. Starting left tackle in Super Bowl 41 for Dub Bears. At number four, Sean Knight. Defensive end. Look at that photo! 11th overall pick oh in 1987. Gosh. Playing in Snowmageddon in that picture. That was definitely not in New Orleans. Member of the 1984 <laughs> BYU National Championship team, 16 sacks his senior year, played for three teams over three seasons in the NFL. So didn't exactly work out in the NFL for Sean. Yeah, three years, but he was an absolute stud at BYU, which got him the 11th overall pick. Perhaps the best defensive lineman ever to play at BYU. Jason Buck's probably that guy. We should have that conversation sometime. Number three, Jim McMahon, 1982, fifth pick at the time. Highest pick in BYU's NFL history, NFC Offensive Rookie of the Year. A couple years later, starting quarterback who hands off to uh, Walter Payton and the Fridge uh, in the Super Bowl win by Dub Bears, greatest defense ever. Retired after 15 seasons in the NFL, and to me, the greatest quarterback that's ever played at BYU. This is probably the best overall draft pick in the history of BYU football. In what way? Just where he went, how his career developed, it was a high draft pick. It was number five overall. Yes. Like it just feels like if, the best. If Steve was taken by the Niners originally, then now yes, he would be but the he best. Was not. He was taken no. by the Express and then supplemental to the Buccaneers, and then the Niners. Yeah. So in, an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Number two, Ziggy Ansah, also the number five overall pick. Isn't it crazy that Ziggy and Jim McMahon were the same number in the yes, draft? Yes, it That's is. That's amazing. Crazy. Given where Ziggy started from and how little he played, relatively speaking, from Ghana it's the fifth pick. Wild. For the Detroit Lions back in 2013, 13 tackles for loss, four and a half sacks in his final year at BYU. Was you can't run, Chucky. The outstanding defensive player at the Senior Bowl, all-rookie defensive team, led all rookies with eight sacks. Selected to a Pro Bowl. Many people forget this. He was selected to a Pro, Pro Bowl. Bowl in 2015. He, yeah. After led. having 14 and a half sacks, he had over 50 sacks for his career. He led the NFL in sacks one year. I used to play basketball in the Richards building with Ziggy before he was on the football team. Then he's the fifth pick in the draft later. Crazy. And the number one and highest picked player in BYU history in the NFL draft, Zach Wilson, number two in 2021, threw for 3,600 yards, 33 touchdowns, three picks. His final year in 2020, BYU broke the single season pass efficiency record, 196.4. Amazing. Currently, of course, in his third season with the Jets, Aaron Rodgers is there now. If Zach had just mailed it in just a little bit more. Could have gone to the Niners, and his life would be a little different right now. That throw on pro day was too good. Niners had traded up to three. They wanted Zach. <sighs> Love you, Zach. Hey, it, we'll see what happens with Aaron Rodgers. Learn from the GOAT. We'll see what happens. From Tom Brady? Sorry, the 
active goat. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. The active goat in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> used to be Joe Montana. Someone was asking me the other day. I was like, who was it before Tom Brady? I was like, it was considered to be Joe Montana before Tom Brady. Some people are saying, well, maybe the active goat is Patrick Mahomes now. And I'm like, there's an argument there. there. It's he's because he's won two Super Bowls now. Like, yeah. There is an argument there. There's he's but right there with Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady, right? yeah. Yeah, what's Tom's, yeah. Who knows what Tom's doing? Like, <laughs> last year this time we thought he was done. He's happy he and he's living a good life. I can guarantee you that. Uh, yeah, we're not <laughs> gauging happiness levels. <laughs> okay, if you missed any interview shows, Deep Blues of Games, you can find them on BYUSN.com or download the BYU TV app. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Next on BYUSN, new rules for a new year of college football, but is it good for the game? And BYU loses a big one to the transfer portal. What's the fallout from Lauren Gustin's exit? I hate it, but I also love it. The transfer portal giveth and taketh away. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store. Official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is Monday, April 24th, wherever and however you're connected. Great to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton alongside a Kearns High School transfer, mm-hmm. Jason Shepard. Yes, go Cougars, and I mean that both ways. The Kearns Cougars and the BYU Cougars. That worked out nicely for you. It did work out nicely for me. In fact, I, uh, I, 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 what I really need to do is I need to head up near the high school uh-huh, and uh-huh. get me my Kearns High, because I don't have anything. I just have my Letterman's jacket from when I was in high school. Outside of that, I don't have any other Kearns High stuff. But I need, like, the, the Go Cougars <laughs> in, the, in the green and gold. Just, like, people are like, what, what is that? Did we change our colors? No, no, no. At some it's point, we need to have a Letterman's jacket day. Let's do it. And it doesn't matter if they're just, like, you know, fat guy in a little coat, whatever. Oh, no, no. I still fit into mine perfectly. <laughs> Seriously, I tried it on the other day, and I'm like, this still fits. I don't even know where mine is. It might be at my mom's house. Yeah, so I I may have to check in with Christine. What did you let her in? I let her in basketball. Okay. Yeah, what about you? Swimming. That a boy. Yeah. Okay. Go Cougars indeed. Go Cougars indeed. We need to have a Letterman's jacket day. <laughs> we, we've determined. Did Jerem get a Letterman's jacket for uh, finishing 55th in state and cross country? Let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Jerem probably got a Letterman's sweater. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. Now that we've got the official yes. business out of the yes. way, we got lots to do. Yes, we do. On today's show, are the new rule changes in college football good for the sport? I'm excited about this conversation. This is this is gonna be a fun one. Lauren Gustin, speaking of things that are not fun, yeah. enters the transfer portal. How does this affect women's hoops next year? Austin Deming had a career day for BYU baseball on Saturday. He'll join us in studio to recap a wild week at Miller Park. Plus, do we like the fits for BYU guys in the latest NFL mock draft? Oh yeah, it's NFL draft week. Here are today's headlines. Let's go. Jason just mentioned it, Lauren Gustin, officially announcing via her social media accounts, most prominently on Instagram, that she is entering the transfer portal for her final year of women's college basketball play. Ended the season with 523 total rebounds, crushing BYU's single season rebound record. The Cougars are losing almost 17 rebounds per game. That was number one in the country. I do not like this. I do what not does like it mean? It. I do not like it at all. Baseball earned its first three-game sweep of the season, beating UNC Greensboro on Friday 19-8. to 
And then on Saturday, 13 to 11, Austin Deming, who we mentioned will join the show, was the hero on Saturday, going five for five with six RBI and two home runs. Oh, by the way, one of those was a grand slam. Yep. The Cougars jump back in a conference play beginning on Thursday for three at home against the Portland Pilots. Wasn't it a two-out grand slam, too? Yes, it was. And by the way, uh, this coming in now, Austin Deming was also named one of Collegiate Baseball News Players of the Week for his performance. I am crossing my fingers that we've got a WCC Player of the Week coming later on today. This is a different team with a healthy Austin Deming back in the lineup. That middle of the order, honestly, from two to seven, good luck trying to pitch around anybody. All right. Track and field at the Robison Invitational, the number six men's team had 15 top three finishes in the meet. Dallin Schertz, the highlight, won the discus with a throw of 59.66 meters. He's currently ranked eighth nationally in that event. The 11th ranked women's team finished with nine first place tallies. Sierra Tidwell-Alfin first in the high jump, clearing 1.80 meters. She's currently ranked third nationally. Men's golf wins the Cougar Classic. The team finished 40 under par, taking home their 40th Cougar Classic title. Yep. By the way, is that the same? Were you just wearing, was that the same sweatshirt you're wearing? I believe that's the same hoodie. Look right at that. There. Look yep. at that. Very Twitters. nice. Uh, Elijah Turner finished second individually with 13 under par. The next tournament is the WCC Championship, which starts on Thursday at 8 a.m. at the Gold Mountain Golf Club in Washington. Too bad my game is not twinning in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> <laughs> Women's golf finishes second at the West Coast Conference Championships. As a team, they finished five over par. Adeline Anderson, lowest Cougar, was two over par. Four Cougars total finished individually in the top 10. BYU Rugby loses to Cal in the semifinals, ending their season. The final score was 55-31. Unfortunately, that means Cal now moves on to face Navy for the national championship. On to tennis, the women's team wins Six to one against Pacific on Friday, and they beat St. Mary's four two on Saturday. So the Cougars twelve and eight overall, six and three in West Coast Conference play. Men's tennis also with the victory over Pacific four to one. They're now six and fifteen overall, just four and five in the WCC. The conference tournament starts on Thursday in California. While there is no NFL games going on, there is USFL action and XFL action featuring former Cougars. Troy Warner had five tackles for the Memphis Showboats in a 42-2 loss to the Birmingham Stallions. And in the XFL, Tomasi Laulile and the Arlington Renegades will be in action in the playoffs this weekend facing the Houston Roughnecks on Saturday. Also in the playoffs, Tijan Karoma and the Seattle Sea Dragons Great name. Yep, we'll play the DC Defenders on Sunday. All, oh, actually, let's go uh, to the National Women's Soccer League first. Cam Tucker of the Houston Dash came in game uh, late, and Ashley Hatch for the Washington Spirit was active in that contest. Three shots, one shot on goal. Fun to have those two stars playing against each other in a 0 0 draw. Michaela Clough had one shot and a 2 0 loss to the Kansas City Current. Now, rise and shout. It is time for what's trend. What's Trending presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. College football made some news late last week, and this is our first opportunity to discuss what it means on the show with three new rules that have officially been ratified and put into play in an effort to shorten games. They include, number one, no consecutive timeouts. 
Number two, no untimed down at the end of the first and or third quarter. And three, the clock runs after first downs except inside the final two minutes of either half. Jason, when you look at these three rule changes that we will see as yeah. BYU now ventures into the Big 12, are the rule changes good overall, not just for BYU right. or the Cougars in the Big 12, but for college football as a sport? Look, I think they are. Look, the one that's getting the most play right now is that you don't have the clock stopped after first downs. Yeah, people don't like it. People don't like it. I honestly don't have a problem with it. And look, we have started to see this more and more in all sports. The most recent prior to this was Major League Baseball with the pitch clock. And not just the pitch clock, but you have a clock on when a batter needs to get into the batter's box. And it, it has significantly sped up games. You see it in both Major League Baseball and you see it in college baseball as well. I love what it's done for baseball. I think okay. it's significantly improved the product because it's knocking close to 25 to 30 minutes off of games in some kind. Baseball now, needed it desperately. Baseball needed it desperately. Now, I'm not necessarily sure that people were clamoring for it as much in college football, but I do not have a problem if the games are sped up a little bit. And I, I know I know that you know there's a certain number of plays that may you may not necessarily have at the end of the day if you get more action and you get it quicker i don't have a problem with it i i think i think at the end of the day if, if you can knock some time off and everyone like people that, that bring the just play less commercials look that's commercials are paramount that's for that's the not going away involved yes that 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 take is not valid that's never going to happen i understand what you're saying but that's that doesn't make any sense because that's what keeps it going. And quite frankly, oh, that's going to be that they're probably going to get longer. They're probably doing this because they know that they're going to start selling more spots, and so they got to make up the time somewhere. I, I do not have a problem if the game is sped up and you have quicker games. I, I think at the end of the day, everybody, while they're maybe griping about it now because it's a change, I, I think at the end of the day they're like, yeah, I kind of like this. Do BYU fans like the idea of thirty-one point six million dollars per year? with the new TV contract as it pertains to only football and the idea of $50 million per year per Big 12 program, it's all about advertising. Yeah. Yes, the NCAA tournament dollars, and that factors into it to a degree, but it's primarily advertising commercials in college football. So I know it's annoying to have so many timeouts and long, lengthy breaks, but that's not going away. So... Yeah, you want to speed up the game, take away, take, then you take away significant revenue for each of these major college football programs. That just, you can't do it. I don't mind that the, the pace of play has sped up. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't like the idea of losing on average seven plays per game, but guess what? College football teams are going to figure out how to get those plays in, yes. in the sped up scenario. It's going to happen. Whether teams decide to go a little bit more up-tempo in general, huddle less, it's going to be fine. It's not going to – I don't think people are really going to notice, like, a significant difference in the game other than, oh, yeah, maybe the the first quarter and the third quarter go a little bit faster, Jason. Like, yeah. in the second quarter and the fourth quarter, because the clock does stop after first downs in the final two minutes and coaches still have timeouts – it's not going to be like that noticeable of a difference. The last couple of minutes are still going to take an hour to play. <laughs> Don't worry for yes. all you that want all your time. That's exactly of college football. what I'm saying. Like, You're still going to have an hour to play 20 minutes. It's not going to change minutes, excuse me. that dramatic part of the game that much. Sure, it'd be fun to have seven more plays, but 
it's not that big of a difference. After a few games in a few weeks and you're in the conference context and the rankings are out and you got other things to complain about and your team's not as good as you thought they were going to be or they're better than they thought you were, you're all going to be focused on different things. You're not going to be focused on, well, there are no consecutive timeouts anymore. It's like, I really like really that ice in the kicker thing. Really hung up on that one. It will add a new dynamic yeah. to it. Will it mean that college kickers all of a sudden become a little bit better? Probably not. Like, that's why all of the ESPN college football analysts just turn them college kickers because they're always pointing out the mistakes made. No consecutive timeouts is not going to make that much of a difference because kickers in general at the collegiate level still, they struggle yeah. under pressure. Not faulting them. It's a terrible position to be in because you make it, yeah, you're awesome, but you miss it. The whole world's against you. I'm fine with all of these. I, the, the no on time down at the end of the first quarter and third quarter is a no-brainer to me. I'm not even sure why that wasn't in place before. It, it just feels like we yes. should get that going to help the, uh, the energy of the game and the pace of the game just continue on. But I think it's good for college football. I'm a fan. Let's go. I know there are some people that are like, no, I want four-and-a-half-hour games. I want longer. Like we don't get so, and that Jeremy has said that. Like well, we don't get, so, we only get so many games. Like I want to enjoy it as much as possible. At some point, it just becomes a drag, especially in a blowout. I want non-exciting quality game. over quantity. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. with you on that one. Well, look, and everybody, everybody freaks out with change anyway. We don't like change, regardless of the situation. And to go back to the baseball situation, everybody was griping about it. Now it's almost universally oh, it's, loved. Uh, it's, it's enjoyable. Like, yeah, again. I actually kind of like that. The sport's enjoyable. Yeah, exactly. Something that's not enjoyable. <laughs> uh, women's college basketball's leading rebounder announced yesterday that she's entering the transfer portal. Oh. That would be BYU's Lauren Gustin. She made it official on Instagram yesterday. Spencer, how does Gustin entering the transfer portal affect BYU women's basketball next season? It significantly impacts BYU in that you lose 17 rebounds a game and the nation's leading rebounder overall. Exactly. Where does BYU go to get the muscle inside? Just the non-stop energizer bunny type player that Lauren Gustin was. She's so unique in that regard. And I know she's undersized and there should be more size in the big 12 overall. So maybe her numbers dip a little bit once she gets into a power five conference, Jason, but frankly, she'd still do her thing. I'd still expect her to get 12 to 13 rebounds a game and give BYU, you know, four or five more opportunities on the offensive glass per game. So I'm bummed out. It's only one year. And it happens to be the year yeah. that BYU now goes to the Big 12. So if we're talking about quantifying how does it affect BYU in the Big 12 standings, I expected the Cougars to compete for top five, top six spot in Big 12 play. I feel like this drops them down a couple of notches. So now it's like, well, it'd be great if BYU could finish in the top eight of the conference. I think Lauren Gustin is that much of an impact player because of the additional chances that she creates and just the energy she brings to the yeah. floor. You're in the huddle. You see what it's like. You're yeah. around Coach Whiting and what Lauren does. I know that she has had her struggles at times offensively and gets frustrated and hasn't been great from the free throw line. But Jason, overall, the product of what she brings to BYU elevates yes. the team overall. And I think it's good to the tune of two spots in league play. The, the thing that stands out for me, beyond the fact that she led the, the country in rebounds, and we know just she was, she was a double-double machine yes. last year. That, I mean, you could just pencil it in. It, excuse me, pin it in. Jason, we were, we were like, oh, she had 17 points and 16 rebounds? Cool. Yeah. Like, think about yes. that. It was just, like, so normal. And it was not, it was not crazy for her to be in the mid-20s for rebounds. Like, we saw that 
so many times. 2020 year. games were like, yes. oh yeah, she's done yeah. it again. So again, like you don't want to get ho hum about it, but that's that's what she was doing. So losing a player like that, that that's that's gonna affect you. And what what we don't know is, you know. All, all we know is that Lauren made the decision to enter the transfer portal. I, I'm going to assume that means there's maybe at least a chance maybe she comes back. I, now, I don't know that. That's, that's not with any inside information. That's just me. Because anytime somebody goes into the transfer portal, a lot of times coming back is still an option. So I would yes. think that's, I would hope that that's still an option. Let's go ahead and officially put that out from BYU Sports Nation. This is independent of anybody in BYU. Yeah, Athletics, this is not coming from anywhere. From you and I. Lauren, if you decide to come back and play for BYU and you're one of the Big 12, we will roll out the blue carpet. We, it will be a massive welcome party for you. Yeah, what we, what we don't know, you know, all we have is the announcement from Lauren. We don't know if this was something that was mutually agreed upon by both sides. So this was a shock to me. I did not see this coming. And if, if she was going to enter the portal, you would have thought it would have happened last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah when you went through the coaching change and so things were a little different that maybe it, I, I thought that the fact that she had come back last year meant that she was she was going to be here through the duration sure. of her playing career sure. and especially coming off a season like that 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 she had last year I would have expected you to come back in you go into the big 12 and like you I fully expected BYU to be in that upper echelon of the conference going into next year when you think of the the influx of talent that's coming in and some really high octane guards yes. yeah, coming into sure. this program, like you, you have you have that type of offense, and then you have a rebounder. And the other part about her game is how many second chance opportunities does she give the BYU that's offense? What I, that's what I'm saying. Of, and kick out for an open it's three. It's just like so many second chance points come off of her rebounds. So to not have that, you, that's gonna affect BYU. I just don't know how it can't. In the long run, because it's only one year, it's like, oh man. Okay, yeah, it's not going to impact BYU because she only has one year of eligibility left. And they got Jenna Sai and Mari Whiting coming in. And in fact, the Whitings are going to join us on BYU Sports Nation tomorrow. We're going to talk about all of this, like the Lauren Gustin situation. They've done extremely well recruiting yes. internationally. Emma Calvert's coming back. Like there are some pieces in play. Nani Falatea, great player. BYU's going to be okay, but. It's there's yeah. no getting around yeah. that she does have. Here's here's what I know about Coach Whiting and the staff. Based off of the talent that they've been able to bring into the program just in the first year, this might be a blow. Now they will get talent into this program. They already there, have. There is yeah. no question yeah. in my mind they will be able to find talent to put into the program to go in, that goes into the Big Twelve next year. I have no doubt in my mind about that. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. I am Spencer Linton alongside a man who will release his full seven-round NFL mock draft in 58 minutes, right, Jerem Jordan? That is coming up on Saturday night when the draft is over. I will just say, here's NFL.com's link to that. <laughs> um, if you do a seven-round mock... That's a lot. That's, that's uh, you know, a lot. Okay. Um, it is your life. But it is like your main gig. That is not our main gig here. Our main gig today includes New York Times bestselling author and friend of the program, Jeff Benedict in studio to talk about his new book called LeBron uh, and the Danny Ainge quote, in it you need to hear. How well did AI rank the top 10 players in BYU football history? Mitch Harper of KSL took that to task. And the BYU football chief of staff, perhaps 
the greatest job title of anyone on campus. Mm. John Swift tells us about the renovations at the football offices. But first, here are today's headlines. Hey, speaking of pre-NFL draft rankings, ESPN's Todd McShay has released his final NFL draft rundown. Blake Freeland, number 93 overall in McShay's list, the 10th best offensive tackle. Jaron Hall, number 123 overall, 7th best quarterback. Puka Nakua comes in at 280, number 36 wide receiver. Others include Chris Brooks, the 40th best running back. Caleb Hayes, number 41 at cornerback. Jake Oldroyd makes an appearance as the 10th best available kicker. And Houston Haymooley as the number 8 fullback slash H-back. Softball beats Utah State 10-5 yesterday thanks to a six-run second inning. Hunter Ava led the way going two for two, a homer in the first, her team leading ninth of the season, and four RBI. Cougars host Utah Tech tonight, 7 Eastern on the BYU TV app. Austin Deming's best week ever continues. The star for BYU Baseball now has four National Player of the Week awards, hey. including the Dick Hauser Trophy National Player of the Week, the D1 Baseball National Hitter of the Week, the Blast Baseball National Player of the Week. What? Exactly. And <laughs> Rawlings College Player of the Week. This and the BYU Sports Deming, Nation Player of the Week. This after Deming produced 11 runs, 12 hits, 15 runs batted in, and four home runs all last week. I think you somehow hit another one from when you started saying that headline to now. Out of here! Yoli Childs, 21.7 boards for Violia Towers Amberg in a win over Krillsheim mm -hmm. in Germany last night. I know that's a huge rivalry. On to some Major League Baseball news. Michael Rucker pitched one scoreless inning yesterday for the Chicago Cubs. He had a strikeout in that inning as the Cubs beat the Padres 6-0. Listen to this. Rucker's current ERA, 2.61 on the season. Not bad in the Major Leagues. All rise and shout. It's time for Watch Trend. What's Trending presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. We are examining the NFL Draft Examiners on Draft Day Eve. It's time to, to a degree, sort through the seven-round mock drafts. There have been many. We have chosen three specifics to focus on and discuss how those pertain to all of the big three BYU players that are projected to go in the draft at some point this weekend. Jaron Hall, Blake Freeland, and Puka Nakua. Now, the three mock drafts we have focused in on are Matt Miller of ESPN, Jordan Reed, who was a guest of the program last week, also with ESPN, and Pro Football Focus. Jerem, I'm going to read the three different projections, starting with Jaron Hall. You tell me what you like best, what you hate most, and we'll go from there. I don't know that I'm going to hate any of them, but yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Matt Miller of ESPN, speaking of Jaron Hall, has BYU's quarterback going in the third round, 65th overall to the Houston Texans. Jordan Reed told us last week he likes Hall in the sixth round and his fit at number 192 with the New England Patriots. Pro Football Focus is the latest projection on Jaron Hall, seventh round, 254th overall to the Giants, essentially making him Mr. Irrelevant. 
Jerem, what do you like and dislike about these three projections for Jaron Hall? Okay, the one I like the most is Jordan Reed's, mainly because of fit with the Patriots. They're trying to figure it out, whether it's Mac Jones or uh, Bailey Zappi, right, who came in and suddenly that, he upset the apple cart a little bit. There's no pressure to need to be the guy in that situation, which is uh, what Jaron Hall will encounter. It's not a Zach Wilson situation where you're the second pick, you're expected to be good and start right away. Offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien is there now after a really successful run with Alabama, uh, replacing Matt Patricia. Of course, there's an Alabama connection there with Mac Jones, although they weren't there at the same time except for the spring leading up to the 21 draft. So I just think the Patriots um, are a good organization, obviously. Our uh, guest in the next uh, segment wrote the dynasty about the Patriots. You learn about the, inter, uh, the goings-on uh, inside there. I like that. I don't like Matt Miller to the Texans. Because I believe the Texans are going to take C.J. Stroud at number two. Okay. So I don't want Jaron to be a second rookie quarterback on a, on a I team. I don't think they would just, do that, yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't, they're not going to pick another quarterback, I don't think. Unless they're, uh, you The know. Texans didn't take C.J. Stroud, obviously, in Matt Miller's draft. Yes, but they probably will. Like, if Bryce Young goes one um, then cert- uh, to the Panthers, then certainly you'd think Stroud goes two to the Texans. I think they'd be nuts I if they know. don't take a quarterback. Because they obviously need one. Did Davis they take Mills a star is defender not, from Georgia? Who knows? Right, but uh, Davis Mills, like, sweet. Uh, you're going to be in the same spot you were uh, next year probably. Yeah, the, the seventh round one to the Giants. Don't like the seventh round per se. And Giants, hey, Daniel Jones probably the guy there for the next three to five years. They just inked him for a new contract, a big new contract. I like the sixth round of the Patriots the most. I like the sixth round of the Patriots because the Patriots are the most solid organization. So if I had to pick one of those, then yeah, I'm going to lead towards New England and Jaron Hall working with the two Bills. They have a fantastic track record. That's clearly to me the best and most solid foundation for somebody like Jaron Hall. However, as much as I don't like Jaron Hall going in the seventh round, and I don't think that's going to happen, I do not think he slides all the way to the seventh round. The Giants is intriguing to me because Daniel Jones, even though he has inked a lengthy contract extension, that feels like a good person for Jaron Hall to learn behind. Daniel Jones is a guy that struggled early, still has had kind well, of... Well, had one good year. Has, has, se- year. has seemingly turned the corner, though. And I just, I don't know, I like the idea of Jaron Hall being behind a guy like Daniel Jones and with an organization that seems to be moving in the right direction. I like the staff. I think they're fiery. They're motivated. Um, wouldn't it be something if BYU had two consecutive quarterbacks go to the New York market? Do we want that? In very different <laughs> scenarios, however. <laughs> yes. The Jets Giants, and the Giants are two different worlds. Giants have done what's called win something uh, <laughs> recently. Yeah, you can't look to Joe Namath and the Jets. You know what I mean? Mark Sanchez and the butt fumble. No. Uh, I, I don't know that Daniel Jones is the quote-unquote vet that I would like Jaron behind per se. Do you um, want him behind Mac Jones? That's where I struggle with the Patriots. Yes, because you get you might be in there in a year or two. I don't necessarily need Jaron to learn behind a pro per se. He can learn from the system, the team, and get an opportunity early. Like I would like Jaron to get a chance at something like Bailey Zappi did, where he came in for a couple games and makes it interesting and is a compelling backup, as opposed to like whoever is behind Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Like you're not gonna play. Mm. Um, you may learn something great, but you ain't going to play. I would like to see Jaron play in year two or three. Okay. So, and you feel like the, the Patriots give him the best chance. There's not to a do lot that. of stability with Mac Jones right now or Bailey Zappi. They, they will be is in the corner. Is it too soon for Jaron in year two? Is it too soon? 
get, well, he's, you got to play at some point. You're 25. Well, let's, let's average go. starting quarterback yeah. before last year was 28 and a half. Right, but you got to go. Your window is smaller than everybody else's. Not like a 21 or 22 year old like most of these guys. Okay, Blake Freeland. Jordan Reed has him second round, 47th to the Washington Commanders. PFF third round, 95th to the Chiefs. And Matt Miller has fourth round, 122nd to the Chiefs as well. What do you like? What do you not like? There's one clear answer here and it's the third round of the Chiefs. One, because going in the third round over the fourth round with both of those Chiefs prognostications gives Blake a bigger signing bonus, a better start to his career financially, but both have them playing for Andy Reid and the defending Super Bowl champions, and... We kind of like him around here. They need a tackle right now. Blake Freeland, if he goes that high in the third round, would have a legitimate chance to start for the defending Super Bowl champions in year one. That'd be awesome. I love that. I love the idea of Blake going back and working with Andy Reid and now Andy Reid's son, Spencer Reid, who's on the Chiefs strength and conditioning staff. He moved staff. from the street behind me. He lived there three months. Wild. He left. Wild. It's with the Chiefs. It's clearly the Chiefs with Andy Reid and that program, knowing that he could play, if not in year one, certainly would feel like, Okay, Freeland is, Freeland is a guy for the Chiefs moving forward from year two on. So I like that most. The Commanders, 47, like that's the best draft pick. So that's fun thinking about Blake going mid-second round. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that's an even better signing bonus. It's more be prestige. I don't like the fit as much because the Commanders don't need a tackle as much as the Chiefs do. And I don't feel like there would be as quick of a transition to a potential starting position with the commanders as there is with the Chiefs. I'm not his agent, so not, I'm not as keen on like how much money he will make. He'll make a bunch of money no matter what. But um, the commanders are a dumpster fire for the most part. And Dax Milne is surviving there, which is great. I would hope that at some point he can get on a team where maybe are they he can a dumpster foil. fire? That feels strong. Have the you Jets? seen the ownership? Have you seen the ownership? Well, it's just hopefully changing, right? Well, hopefully is a nice sentiment that anyone it, could put in any situation. It feels like that someone else will buy that team, and that will help a lot. It hasn't happened quite yet, but yes, I love the Chiefs. It's like a John Tate pick. You go to the Chiefs, you play for a long time. Obviously, Andy and BYU guys would love that connection. That would be great. Yeah, that trumps the fourth round uh, to the Chiefs. So, yeah, third round to the, sh- to the chefs, yes. as the commercial once uh, said for Snickers. I love it. Hashtag great googly moogly. Great googly moogly. If you know, you That's, know. Go watch that on YouTube. That's a great commercial. On to Puka Nakua. And he, not surprisingly, as we expected, is showing up in the latter rounds. Jordan Reed, VSPN, has Nakua going sixth round, 180th overall to the Arizona Cardinals. Pro Football Focus has Nakua also in the sixth round, but 212 to the Cowboys. And Matt Miller has Nakua 222nd overall, joining the San Francisco 49ers. Jerem, which of these three do you like the most as far as fit, round, and whatnot go? There's some NFC West connection here against my Seahawks. Um, I really like the seventh round of the Niners. It's mainly because Niners, I hate to say it and hate to admit it, but the Niners are an an incredible organization. They're fantastic. Kyle Shanahan runs an amazing offense. I think he knows how to use weapons and create, uh, you know, situations where guys get open. He can take Brock Purdy and make him a guy that gets you to the NFC Championship game. Like, that that showed how good of a coach he is. Mm -hmm. And so I would love Puka on the Niners because I'd see him twice a year as well against the Seahawks. I like the Cowboys idea. I think that's fun of Puka Nakua playing for a brand like that. Is Simi Fajoko still there? But yes. You're going to have those two yes. dudes together? Like the idea of Simi Fajoko and Puka Nakua Utah there. kids. Remember this church like, together? Really fun. fun. Really fun. Yeah. I just with, with Kellen Moore as OC? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Brother Moore? <laughs> but do they, 
He's, he, but Kellmore moved to the oh, Chargers. Oh, Kellmore moved right. to the Chargers. He's moved to the Los Angeles Chargers. There you go. Sorry, the Los Angeles Chargers. I didn't Chargers actually know San that. Diego. Good for Kellen. Uh, L.A., that's correct. Okay. I, I don't feel like the Cowboys need Puka Nakua as much because they have Simi Fajoka. They have a version of Puka Nakua on the roster right now. Now, wait a minute. They're just checking poly boxes no, at no, receiver? Come on now. In terms of physicality, you can always have more. Play. You can always have more. <laughs> wait, we have one. We're good. No, you can have five. I, I like him with the 49ers. I think that's great. And the Nakua's have a brand with the 49ers already. Kai was there for a few seasons. Like management, John Lynch, they know the Nakua's. I feel like that's a fun fit. So that, that's my favorite. 180th overall sounds a lot better than 222. I don't really care. Six, seven doesn't matter. But to I, me. I would, yeah. So I'd love to see Puka go a little higher than the seventh round. But yeah, to the 49ers is, is I think, the most uh, sustainable fit for a guy like Puka Nakua. Once you go fifth on, I don't really care. Like, it's just fit at that point. Yeah. Maybe even fourth on day three. Yeah. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear are what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Station. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. It is now our pleasure to welcome in New York Times best-selling author, longtime friend of the program, Jeff Benedict, who went to number one on Amazon after his appearance on The Herd with Colin Cowherd recently. And so we're just going to go ahead and move you to number one on the Deseret book list as well. <laughs> I don't know if that's official. That's really we're just going yeah. to do that, Jeff. Yeah. Let's get there. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I love the new studio. This looks fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we like it too. We love your t-shirt as well. The old school MTV Spring Break 88. 88. <laughs> Is this a shirt you've had the whole time or did you buy it later? I have a lot of old t-shirts. <laughs> Throw it through the washer a couple times, you're good to go. It's well played. Uh, Your new book, LeBron, is really fun. Jeremy and I were picking through it last night. Um, We'll get to some of the specifics in just a minute, but how would you describe the project overall as you put together this this new book on another incredible star? Uh, This one was like, at the beginning, I felt like uh, the best comparison I could make, we're in the Intermountain West here, so it was like looking standing at the bottom of a very large, wide base mountain and not being able to see the top and really wondering, how am I going to get there as a, as a writer? It was, um, it was intimidating. And at times, I'd even use the word a little scary, just mm. trying to... I, I felt a similar thing with the Patriots book. So I've, I've had this feeling before as a writer. It's, um, I actually think it's good, though, to be a little... Uh, uneasy and to when you feel intimidated by something it forces you to work harder and never assume that oh I can do this because I've done this before I think when you do that as a writer that's actually not healthy and so I was definitely had that feeling of overwhelming sense of magnitude like this is one of the probably three greatest athletes in this century to come out of America and um He's the greatest basketball player of his generation, and he's in the conversation with Michael. And so there's a level of expertise he's attained as a performer, and you want to try to capture that as a, as a writer. Did you always want to do LeBron? Because you, you've uh, you know, checked a few awesome boxes here. Steve Young, you got Tom Brady and, and the Dynasty, which is excellent. You got Tiger, right. you got LeBron. Now, was LeBron like on your hopeful list of, of books in the future? 
Well, th that kind of thinking didn't happen right away. After I did Tiger, I, I pitched the dynasty next to my publisher. And they said they would give me a contract to do the Patriot story, but that first I, I needed to gain access to Foxborough. And once someone in the team, either the owner, the coach, or the quarterback, gave me access, then they'd give me the contract. In the meantime, they wanted me to do something else. And I said, well, why don't you suggest what that might be? And having just done Tiger, they said, why don't you do LeBron? And as soon as they said that, I said, I, I'm in. Like, I, I didn't need to think about it. It's sort of like um, that book Blink, where when your initial instinct is yes, you shouldn't question that instinct. I, I've said this, like, this isn't something I needed to talk to anybody about. I didn't need to think about it. I didn't need to consult. I just, in that room, I said yes. And then I went off and started LeBron, and then I got into Foxborough. So I stopped LeBron, did the Patriots, and mm. then came back and finished LeBron. Jeff Benedict, New York Times bestselling author, is on BYU Sports Nation. Now, Danny Ainge is a name that is synonymous with high-level NBA personnel for right. what he did as a player and certainly what he's been doing as an executive. He is quoted in your book talking about LeBron, and it's a fantastic quote. In fact, Jerem found this. I'm going to read it. I, I love this. Yeah. Pages 284 and 285 for those wondering. After watching LeBron in high school, Ainge told Sports Illustrated writer Grant Wall, if I were a general manager, there are only four or five NBA players that I wouldn't trade to get him right now. Incredible. Now, it continues. A few years later, Ainge ran into Wall, who told him, well, you were right about LeBron. Ainge told Wall, no, I was wrong. I should have said I would have traded anybody for LeBron. <laughs> what were it's your true. interactions like with Danny Ainge as you wrote this book? I, I love Danny um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, he, you know, look, when I was in high school, when MTV got started, Danny Ainge was on the Celtics. Yeah. And he was this young brash player. I mean, gets in fights with Tree Rollins. I mean, he was just, if you grew up in New England like me, and especially if you grew up in a, in, and you were like one of the only Mormons in anywhere, Ainge and Young were your guys. And I was a huge Celtics fan. So to be able to interview Danny for this book was great because Danny has had so many interesting intersections with LeBron James, starting with the fact that Danny was one of the first NBA executives to see LeBron <clears throat> as a high school player, as a sophomore. He had seen LeBron play in a camp in New York, um, and he knew how good he was. And that's why when Grant Wall wrote that very famous Sports Illustrated cover story, mm -hmm. The Chosen One, he had interviewed Ainge, and Ainge said that quote. I, I would, there's like five players probably that I wouldn't trade for LeBron. And I remember when I interviewed Danny for the book, Danny said, yeah, he goes, I took a lot of flack for saying that at the time. His colleagues in the NBA were like, what are you, crazy? This kid's in high school. Why are you <laughs> saying something like that? And then a few years later, it was apparent to everybody that LeBron was what the hype said he was. And that's when he ran into Grant Wall later and he said, no, actually, I was wrong. I should have said I would trade everybody <laughs> to get him. And the reason that's really interesting, too, is because if you think about it, when LeBron gets into the league and the, the Cavaliers start to get better, their rival becomes the Celtics. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Celtics are the impediment especially when um, Ainge brings in Garnett and Ray Allen to play with Paul Pierce. That rivalry really heats up, and suddenly Ainge 
is now really intertwined with LeBron because the Cavaliers and the Celtics have these great playoff series that go on all the way till LeBron goes to Miami, and then it shifts. Now it's not Cleveland and Boston. It's Miami and Boston. And now it's Ainge fighting with Pat Riley. You know, and it's just so Ainge has had a long life with him. And, and Danny said something interesting, which is, if you think about his career, as a player, I had to deal with Michael Jordan my whole career. And as an executive, I've had to deal with LeBron. <laughs> LeBron, the he's still dealing with him, right? With the Utah Jazz, which is crazy. I would love a Danny book in the future, by the way. Just my little request to you. But um, I've been struck by what LeBron went through. We knew that, hey, he didn't have a father growing up. I have a nine-year-old, so I'm at the part where he's nine, and he's living with another family, and his mom's trying to make ends meet. What he went through... Um, was incredible to get where he is because it was less than ideal, but he he attributes those hardships to turning him into what he became. You guys remember that story I wrote about Spencer Hadley when he was a player here yeah. called Redemption yes. for Sports Illustrated, which was one of the most popular stories I wrote in my time at SI. This part of LeBron's book reminds me of that, is that when you think about the families in Akron, Ohio, who raised LeBron, there's an expression that gets way overused, it takes a village. In this case, that actually is true. And I, I thought when I was writing this, the way that LeBron's mother raises LeBron has been misframed. Single mother, 16 years old when she got pregnant. I thought when she gives LeBron to another mother and father to take into their home and raise after fourth grade, Instead of looking at that as someone whose life is a mess, I looked at it and thought, holy mackerel, do you know how much, how hard it is for a mother to give her only child away mm. to another mother to raise? That's, that's not someone whose life is out of control. That's someone who's got tremendous courage and love for their kid. And the Walker family that takes him in, Frankie Walker, took LeBron in not because he thought he was a prodigy and someday was going to be a great NBA player. He, he didn't know that. LeBron, he, he's the one who puts a basketball in LeBron's hand. LeBron had never played basketball at that point. That's what's so beautiful about this. Frankie Walker, who's now the dad figure, takes LeBron out in the backyard, puts a basketball in his hand, and shows him how to play basketball. Here's what's so beautiful about this. A few months ago, when LeBron broke the all-time scoring record in Los Angeles with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sitting there, who else was in the arena that night? Frankie Walker. Awesome. Mm. I mean, those are the stories about LeBron that people don't know, and his life is full of that. It's just full of that. And if, if you like, like to me, those men and women in Akron who came into LeBron's life, they're the biggest reason that LeBron got out. Jeff Benedict, the great author, is with us on BYU Sports Nation. You've done a number of books. Of course, the referenced Steve Young book, and then the trio with goats, Tom Brady and the Dynasty, LeBron now, Tiger Woods. Are there any attributes that those high-level athletes share? You notice like uh, some common denominators? If so, what are they? Uh, yeah, personally, they're three very different guys. Um, but in, within the realm of their sport, there are some commonalities is I think the three, Tiger, Tom, and LeBron, they treat athletics like a craft and they're maniacal in their preparation. They love to practice. A lot of athletes love to play. They don't love to practice. 
Tom and LeBron and Tiger live to practice. That's a big difference. They live to study film. They, they've been studying film for 25 years. Even though, even when they became the best in their sport, their time spent studying film didn't actually d diminish, it increased. <laughs> and so, and as they've gotten older, because of the longevity of all three of these athletes, they've changed. Like, I, I'm not hesitant to say Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Ja Morant, you, you take any of those guys, they'll never catch Tom and LeBron. They never will. Because if you look at how Tom and LeBron started in team sports and the way they've methodically approached how they treat their bodies, how they play the games, they manage games. LeBron's a manager. He's managing the clock. He's managing his team. He's like a coach on the floor. Tom is like a coach on the field. That's why his relationship with Belichick worked so well for so long. Belichick had a coach on the field, not a player, a coach. And I just think that the, their dedication and their determination to be the greatest in the world is what drives them to be different than everybody else. But the discipline, it's that self-discipline. All athletes are disciplined to be at a base level. You have to be, right? They have to work out. They have to eat a certain way and be here at this time. They all do that, but there's levels to that. And then there's levels above levels. And I think when you look at guys like Tom and LeBron and Tiger, you're looking at three guys that are they're in a realm that no one else is in, and you're, you're not getting into that. There's not going to be another quarterback who wins seven Super Bowls. Yeah. It's, it's not going to happen. No. And you're, the, the fact that LeBron is almost 40, um, and he can still score 40 if he wants to. He could score 40 every night if he wanted to. Or he can do 20 and 20 like he did in his last game. Thank you, Shaq, yeah. for pointing that out. Yeah. yeah. That was interesting. Okay, uh, my friend this morning as I was driving in, we exchanged Marco Polos. He works in D.C. His name's Manti. And he goes, dude, you should read this LeBron book. I'm listening to it. I go, funny thing is, I know the author, and I'm reading it, which is awesome. What did it take to make this book? Because it's quite the process, speaking of process, yeah. for you. Um, did, let me ask you this first. Did your friend say he was listening to the book? He was listening to it. So that's, I just want to say something about that. I'm glad to hear he was listening to it on Audible because we got Chris Jackson, who played George Washington in Hamilton on awesome. Broadway, to read LeBron. Oh, nice. So it's like the voice of George Washington Ooh. thundering through. If he's reading it, he's having a great In D.C., no less. In D.C. Yeah. Well, now i got to listen to it on Audible. Yeah, yeah. It, the Audible is amazing because of Chris. Yeah. Um, your question was, what does it take to... What did it take to do this book? It, it's a, I spent about a year just doing pure reading. Um, I read, you know, 25 or 30 books. There aren't that many books on LeBron, but I, I read a lot of other books that helped me prepare to write LeBron. I, read, I tried to read everything that had been written about LeBron. Um, I got subscriptions to the Akron Beacon Journal and the Cleveland Plain Dealers so we could have access to their archival libraries. And they were really cooperative. They sent me thousands of pages that we put into binders. So I had in order every single printed story that had ever been written about LeBron James from the time he was like eight years old and played in his first peewee game. And there's, a, there's an article this big in the Akron Beacon <laughs> Journal. You mentioned that. I yeah, read that. Yeah, some kid named LeBron James scored like three touchdowns, 82-yard runs. You know, he's just running past everybody. But I, I started there, and I... Every article 
all the way up. And if you saw the binders in my office that were filled, but that's a year of just reading. Mm. You're, not, you're not really equipped to do informed and educated interviews with subjects until you know what you need to ask. You don't want to have fishing expeditions when you do interviews. You need to really know your stuff because if you call someone like Mike Krzyzewski and say you want to do an interview, he needs to know from the questions that you actually have done your homework and sure. you know what you're asking. Otherwise, you're wasting people's time. And so I, th and that's also in that process where you really get a sense of what the narrative is going to be. And, um, and so I, I lock myself away. It's, it's lonely, but I mean, that's when you really start to immerse yourself in the subject's life. And I did the same thing for Tiger. I did it for the dynasty. I did it with Steve. Steve was a little different because I was doing it with him. But, mm -hmm. but that's, the, that's the beginning process. And it's long. It's not glamorous. It's not sexy. It's, it's, it doesn't even sound fun. But to me, it's fun. Because if you're doing that with someone that you're actually fascinated by, then it is fun. It's work, but you're reading about someone and learning about someone that is really interesting. And so um, I found LeBron's origin story fascinating. And, and this is the value of a book as opposed to, you know, something that may be more um, surface level, yeah. which is you go real deep, you went super, and, and then you can, you can get in there. And that's why it's worth it to still read books, kids. Yes. Still read books. Like there are podcasts, there are shows like ours, there are articles, but books have value still. Yeah. Books have value because of that. Depth. Certainly. Yeah. I love you saying that. You keep <laughs> it, saying that. It matters. My daughter reads a ton and I'm like, hey, that's the best yeah. thing you could be doing. All my kids, my yes. kids are all reading this right now because I don't say much when I'm working on books and my wife and my children read them when they're done. And uh, my, my wife is, my wife doesn't, you know, follow LeBron, but she's reading it now and she's halfway through it. My wife's a huge reader and and she's halfway through it and she's like, I'm, I'm so into his story because I'm into his mom and all the stuff that's mm -hmm. going on. And to me, that's what it's about. The basketball stuff, you know. There's not a lot I can tell you about the games that he won because you know what games he won. But what you don't know is like all the stuff that, that is in him that, he doesn't, that never comes out. How he met Michael Jordan how he met Jay-Z, what kind of relationship he had with Jay-Z when he was a teenager. Just that sentence is absurd. He had a relationship with Jay-Z when a he was teenager. a teenager. Yep. He had Michael Jordan's cell phone number in his pocket as a junior in high school and not bragging about it. I mean, that's that would be like me when I was in high school walking around with Larry Bird's phone number and not telling my friends. <laughs> and, and that's the way LeBron was. He's very quiet about things like that. He's judicious, doesn't brag. Um, and those are the things I liked about his, the way he was as a child. It was sort of advanced. And you think, how does, he, how does he know how to behave like that? You don't brag about yourself either, but we're going to brag about you. And you've got a book signing coming up in Orem. You can meet the author, Jeff Benedict. Come hang out Sign your yeah. book. What are the details on that? Uh, tonight in Orem at Barnes & Noble at 7 o'clock. And uh, it's going to be a talk about writing LeBron and then Q&A with the audience. And I'm excited to go to Orem Barnes & Noble because I've never done a signing there before. Fantastic. Very cool. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't know you were coming in studio today. I thought it was the Zoom, so I was like, Jeff's here? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> That's great. The yeah. man is good here. Good to see you, yeah. For uh, BYU Sports Station and a book signing. My son is 11. He just started the Steve Young book. We'll get him into LeBron pretty soon. He would. It's, that's actually a, would be a great follow-up to Steve's story. Is LeBron's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Duly, duly noted. Very Jeff, cool. thanks for uh, the time. Great to have you on the show, man. Thank you, guys. Always good, good to, to see be you, back. Jeff. Good to see you, thanks. guys. Okay. Uh, 
We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Welcome back to BYU Sports Station live from Studio B. I had a chance to speak with standout golfer Carson Lundell of BYU Men's Golf before they take on the West Coast Conference Championships. He's one-on-one on BYU Sports Nation. Carson, this is your final go-around with BYU Men's Golf and the West Coast Conference. So with that context in play, what does this year's WCC tournament and a shot at a championship mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it's everything, you know, I've wanted. We, uh, we've had some really good teams while I've been here, and we've fallen short um, pretty much every year. Uh, we didn't get, get the chance to compete in the COVID year, which we felt we had a great, a great chance to win it. Um, but, you know, we've always just fallen short of Pepperdine. I think we've taken second, you know, once or twice, and, and they, they've had, you know, some phenomenal teams and, and have another top 10 team in the country this year. And to beat them, we got, we got to play really good. But, you know, we, we know what we're capable of. We've, we've shown we can go super, super deep, and we've got the firepower. So, you know, we, we got to come out swinging. What type of momentum do you have right now, having won, again, the Ping Cougar Classic as a team on your home course as you go into your last opportunity to best Pepperdine and win the West Coast Conference Championship? Yeah, yeah. Anytime we're coming off a win, um, you know, things feel pretty good. Um, I do think, though, that, that we, we felt like we had a lot left in the tank at the Cougar. So I, I think our best golf is still definitely to come. And yeah, we're just, we're super excited. We just got done with our practice round and the courses, it's pretty sweet. So we're, we're excited. <laughs> it's super cool. Now it's interesting. You said that you still had a lot in the tank. You won the tournament. So where specifically do you feel like as a team, you can go even lower? You know, it's, it, it was at Riverside, um, our home course that we play every day. And, you know, I think, I, I think we played, we played good. We didn't play great. And, and it's just, it's just catching that momentum, right. And just trying to peak at the right time. And I think this is, you know, the next few weeks is going to be the perfect time to peak. And so, you know, I think we're just, we got some more putts we need to make. We got some more fairways we got to hit and some more greens we got to hit. So. You're in Bremerton, Washington. You just mentioned that you love the course in your words. It's pretty sweet. Walk us through the track and what type of a course it's like. Oh man. Well, a lot of trees, a lot of trees. So it's like a tree line track, but, uh, some good elevation changes. Um, it's just like, like a typical, I guess, Washington course that you would, you would kind of expect super green, pretty soft. Um, and now yeah, just, I mean, a lot of trees. So you gotta, you gotta hit it straight. And, <laughs> but, but, but it's not like super narrow. So you can, I mean, you just you gotta hit it straight and hit the greens, right? Just, <laughs> Now, your future certainly includes a lot of golf in it. You have professional aspirations. But before we go there, as a senior now on this team, and certainly with the desire to go and win a West Coast Conference championship, how do you handle the pressure and the desire to go and get something that has eluded you as a player while you've been at BYU? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just, you know, all just a quick of what I've learned here at BYU. Um, you know, throughout my time here, I've had a lot of times where the pressure and expectations have been really big. And, and you know, 
I've had times I've delivered. I've had times I haven't been. And I, I think that this week is no different. I mean, the, the great thing is, is we're just, you know, we're all just having fun. We're, we're playing well. And I don't necessarily know if there's a ton of expectation and pressure because we're not the favorites. Right. Mm. Um, I, you know, looking at it as it's my last West Coast Conference championship, that makes it a little, a little different, but you know, at the same time, it's like, just, you know, I just want to enjoy it. It's my last one. I couldn't have enough good things to say about my time here, at BYU and, and coach Miller and coach Brock bank. So it's just, you know, just enjoy, you know, my last few tournaments, my last few rounds with those guys and try to play well while doing it. Right. Make it, make it a memorable. Carson Lundell is on BYU sports nation. Obviously over the next month and a half, your focus is on the West coast conference championships. Then you get to regionals. Hopefully that extends into nationals. But once that's over, walk us through your personal timeline as you begin your next golf adventure. Yeah. Um, so I'm not 100% certain what that looks like at, at this point right now. But I'll, I'll definitely turn pro following the season. And uh, we'll – yeah, and it's, it's, you know – nose in the dirt and just hard work, hard grind. You know, luckily the school aspect will be over. So I'll have a little bit more time and, and <laughs> on golf, but I, uh, yeah, so I'll turn pro and, and uh, I'll probably do some mini tour stuff and some, I mean, a lot of state opens and then I'll do some, uh, a lot of Monday qualifiers this summer yeah. for, yeah. you know, Canadian tour and corn Ferry tour. So I'm super excited because it really, Think about the cool thing about golf is you know it can happen to anyone. It's all about timing. If you get you get hot at the right yeah. time, you know you a month in a, you know by August if things go crazy well, you know I might be on the PGA tour. Like you just you never know. Yeah. I mean, it could literally happen to anyone, and and so that's the cool thing. It just takes one good week. So it's I'm I, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. Fantastic. What does it mean to have your buddy Peter Quest living that life right now? as he pursues, you know, the consistent tour card and, and having him go through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool because, you know, Peter hangs around, uh, Provo and American Fork still. And so I see, I see him quite a bit and I, I actually, I credit a lot of, you you know, a lot of my success to him and, and to Rhett mm-hmm. and those older guys who I was able to watch and come in and they were both, you know, all American players and got to see kind of how they did things. And, and uh, just kind of see the blueprint and then see where they're at now. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's super helpful to have those guys, you know, in my corner and to see, you know, how they've done it. And then obviously we've got, you know, coach summer Hayes, who was here last year and Fishburne and Blair and, you know, so many other guys out there that are just more than willing to help and more than willing to give their time and, and their knowledge. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a good spot. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll finish up with this. Uh, first of all, are you done with finals? I've got like this little essay, just a tiny little essay. And then that's it. I'm first thing I'm doing when I get back to the hotel and it's over. It's over. I'm, done. Oh, I'm so excited for you to finish that because there's no greater <laughs> feeling than finishing that last final. So best of luck with that. Give you some BYU sports nation karma to go and write an awesome essay finish up your schooling, and certainly to go compete well in the West Coast Conference Championships. Carson, always good to talk to you, brother. Thanks for the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook 
using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Let's whip it on draft day. Cougar Whip Round presented by Marisk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Aaron Ratches said, I'm going to make Zach Wilson's life heaven off the field. Referencing Zach saying, I'm going to make whoever the starter's life hell on the field, right? <laughs> what do you think he means by that? I think he means exactly what he explained it to be during the follow-up questions. Yeah. And that is, it's my job to help him rediscover his confidence and his swagger. Aaron Rodgers doesn't just throw around compliments. That's not his style. And when he practiced against the Jets last year, he was like, dude, that guy has an arm. He can absolutely sling it. He's got a lot of really, really high level skills. Aaron Rodgers knows what Zach Wilson could do to make his life heaven off the field is just to help him reestablish general confidence, right? Yes. Maybe teach him how to work in the media a little bit better, how to be a little bit more media savvy. Like, that's tough. Call Pat McAfee maybe and be on the show. <laughs> I, I said in the, the first segment, but Aaron Rodgers is giving his backup what Brett Favre did not do to Aaron Rodgers as the backup, which is, let me help you. I love it. He is not threatened by him. I right? love it. He is there to be a good teammate. It, that that's, says a lot about Aaron Rodgers. I, I like Aaron Rodgers. I, I respect him even more. I like him even more now. Yeah, honestly. That's I, awesome. That's a classy move. Yeah. Okay, this is fantastic. We should have brought this up with Jared. <laughs> uh, there, yes, we should have. <laughs> we ran out of time. <laughs> There's a doppelganger thread going around. This is great. NFL draft style from yes. Jim Weber on Twitter. Yes. And so many of them are hilarious. <laughs> Jaron Hall shows up as AC Slater from Saved by the Bell. The dimple! The dimple is with us, and then the yep. curly hair. Yep. This is so well played yep. by Jim Weber. Nicely done. I I, I like it. You know, um, Say by the Bell is the show that you and I grew up. That's in our wheelhouse, our age. Uh, that's an and that's an older pick of Jaron, probably right that Jim used. I think this is spot on. <laughs> I, I think it's you know it's like well almost spot on. It's close. Like it's pretty good. Why is AC Slater wearing number seventy three? Was he a lineman? Like <laughs> he's not what? big enough to be. A, come on now. One, he's a wrestling star for the Bayside Tigers. Yeah, come on, Mario Lopez. But seventy three on the football team? Hey, that's really really funny, dude. Kelly Kapoor. Holy shnikes. BYU Baseball and UNC Greensboro combined for uh, 73 runs last week, smashing the over of 43 we set. How are you uh, feeling about the over-under of 43 against Portland? Wait a second. Wasn't it Kelly Kapowski? Kapowski. Yes. Who's, who's Kelly Kapoor? I have no idea. That <laughs> is, is that from The Office? That's Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey. Very different. Very different. Very different. <laughs> okay, to answer your question, I'm feeling good about 43 runs total combined over the three games. Just because BYU's offense has been red hot and their pitching has yep. been not good, they're probably we're probably yeah. going to see a bunch of shootouts again. So yeah, I'm taking the over again on the 43 runs yes. combined between the two teams. I'm confident in the over, yeah. Put put me down for the over. Well, that's 15 runs a game combined. Combined. Based on what we've seen over the last three weeks, yeah. this feels like a lock. Austin Deming might single-handedly <laughs> drive in 15. The way he's playing right he now. He drove in six runs himself in his last game. He's balling out, dude. He's good. A Little League Association in New Jersey this is so good. has installed a new rule. This I is love this. Everywhere, please. It cites 
Any parent who argues with an umpire will be required to volunteer as an umpire for three games before being allowed to return as a spectator. Okay, we both have kids playing youth sports. Yes. Is this a good idea? It's not a good idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> I, last year, Venna played softball. She was eight. I could not stand a couple of the parents on our team. It was like, what, 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 what is doing? this, the World Series? They're seven years old! Are there millions of dollars at stake? Like, you guys are such idiots. Screaming it at a 13-year-old umpire, Boom! Uh, umpire's crying. I'm like, what are we doing? This was not uplifting for anyone. Why? Like, you guys stink. Why? Like, you as people stink. Like, don't be that person. Like, just coach and be encouraged. Yes. Just expect just it to be, be frustrating as a parent. It's okay. Just you, manage you your expectations. You think you're not having fun? What about the little kid? Come good, on now. Good grief. Uh, yeah. This, I'm on board I for this. I love that. I don't complain to the ump. Or I keep my ever. mouth shut. I no. might say something to my wife like, "No, oh, that was brutal." I'm just, I'm just cheering on the team. What? I mean, whatever. They're 13, 14, and 15 year old kids making yeah. like eight bucks an hour. And then someone will be like, "Do you want to do some play-by-play -play to this game?" And it's like, not for free, you know. <laughs> not for free. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Our question of the day, what would good, better, and best look like for BYU football in the 2023 NFL Draft? It's day one today. Mm. Nobody's going to be taken tonight from BYU, but don't think so. somebody could be taken tomorrow. And we hope there are two around. picks tomorrow. Yeah. That'd be awesome. All right. Um, our... First response, or our, our next response, comes from BYU and the NFL on Instagram. Says, That's good. That's the Instagram, given the subject. Good, these three dudes getting drafted. Yeah. Better, these guys all going in the first five rounds. Okay. Best, more than just three get drafted. That would be great. Caleb, Caleb Hayes sneaks in. Caleb Hayes. What if Chris Brooks somehow goes in the seventh, seventh round? Too? Oh. Like, who knows, right? All right. Our Elite Voice today presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated. Okay, uh, I asked Jaron if he had graduated Hall earlier. He said he still has American heritage to take. One of us! One of us! <laughs> the first class I took. Gideon, Gideon George, uh, you were academic all state. You were a good student. Um, Jaron was a good student, too. He's just a quarterback at BYU and a baseball player. <laughs> Gideon George tweeted to me, you know, tweeting about uh, Jaron's situation there. Ha, 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 the best class. He'll love it. <laughs> And then I have uh, others, people, you know, uh, saying, wait a minute, you taking it to Salt Lake? Or didn't your AP U.S. history class count maybe? Or, yeah, people are weighing in. Like, more on academics than, uh, you know, some of the sports stuff we do now, which is fun. Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah. Let's whip it! Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Six players from the Big 12 were taken last night, 60% of the league, the most of any conference. Does being in the Big 12 put more pressure on BYU to produce more NFL talent? No, it puts more pressure on BYU to recruit at a higher level so you can compete at a Power 5 level, but that will probably naturally translate into BYU having more draft picks. I think BYU is doing a great job in the NFL draft yes. and in the portal. That will naturally occur. I think BYU fits into that mold. If, if three get drafted this weekend, that's nine over the last three years before BYU was in the Big 12. They're trending before in the right direction. Power five team. Yes, they're trending in the right direction. Bill Hancock, executive director of the college football playoff, confirms the national semifinals will be played on weekdays to avoid the NFL wildcard weekend. 
They will likely be played on a Thursday or Friday. How do you feel about games of that magnitude being put on weekday nights? It's destination viewing for me either way. It does not matter. Doesn't I, matter. I will be watching. Jerem, the college football national championship for how many years in a row has been on a Monday? Hey, listen. Do BYU, we care? BYU's going to be playing in one of these soon enough. Let's go. NFL Rookie Watch on Twitter listed every team's worst draft since 2010. Listed Zach Wilson and the Jets from 21. Is this, is this accurate considering seven of those picks are either out of the league or free agents? No, it's just so knee-jerk and reactionary. And it's because it's like a trendy thing to say right now. Let it play out. Let him develop a little with Aaron Rodgers as his mentor. It's going to take a sec for Zach to get that chance again. But when he does, he'll be more ready than he was before. People are already calling him Ryan Leaf. He could not be more different than Ryan Leaf. Yes. Come on. He got that dog in him, though. Yes, yeah, yes, he yes, does. He yes, he does. BYU Baseball finishing their series against Portland today and tomorrow. Won the first game last night in dramatic fashion. Mm -hmm. Karma in play. Can BYU afford to drop one of the remaining two games and still feel okay, or is a sweep necessary? No, they can just win the series. It's about winning series. Yes. All I need BYU to do is go 6-6 six and six in their last four combined West Coast Conference series. Just be in the top six, make the WCC tourney, yep. and you're good. And there's some bottom feeders available to uh, play, right? Pacific and Pepperdine haven't been super strong. You have some opportunities. Yeah, yeah they don't have to. Hey, if you want to win all the remaining WCC That'd series, be fine great. With us. That's great. All right, that takes care of the whip. Is BYU back to its QBU days? Yes, is the answer. Offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick will share his thoughts on that and on Jaron Hall and much more after this. He's in studio. This is BYU Sports Nation. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.